Well, we are continuing in our Remember series today where we are uh, looking at passages of Scripture that appeal to us to remember things because through remembering we can change our thoughts, our attitudes, and even our actions in the present. If you've missed any weeks in the series, I encourage you to consider catching up online. I'd especially ask you to listen to the first message in the series uh, where I introduced the series and went into some depth regarding the reason that the reasons that remembering is such a powerful tool for changing our thoughts, our attitudes, and our actions. So I think having that foundation for the series would be helpful. If you missed that, I uh, would really appreciate you catching up there. Today, we're turning our attention to the 77th Psalm, which we'll look at here in a few minutes. I think the title of today's message is the longest that I've ever titled a sermon. I was tempted to change it, but I stuck with it because I think it summarizes the 77th Psalm pretty well. I also think it's a pretty decent encouragement as a standalone thought. So here's the title of today's message. Remember what God has done when you don't know what he's doing. And as we go through the 77th Psalm, it becomes clear the title also could have been this, remember what God has done when you're not sure he's doing anything. It's important for us to remember. The 77th Psalm and this message are specifically for people who are in the middle of difficult circumstances and you're not sure what God is doing. In fact, you do wonder if God is doing anything. You feel alone with your problem. You're discouraged by your situation. You are wondering if there is help that can be found. The 77th Psalm is credited to Asaph, who was one of the chief musicians who led the people of God in worship during the reigns of David and Solomon. Some say he only served during the reign of Solomon. Uh, some say that his service uh, extended across the reigns of both David and Solomon. Either way, uh, Asaph was a chief musician in the tabernacle of God, a worship leader for the people of God. And the text makes it clear that the 77th Psalm was written on the occasion of a time of distress in Asaph's life. It doesn't tell us what the cause of the distress was. It could have been a national crisis. It could have been some type of personal crisis. It could have been a combination of both. We're not certain. But Asaph identifies it as a time of distress. And as we read through the 77th Psalm, it becomes clear that his distress was significant and that Asaph was in a really bad place emotionally and spiritually. In this Psalm, we see how circumstances can have profoundly negative impact on a person mentally, emotionally, and spiritually. And we find that even people who have great faith in God can go through really dark seasons in their life. We're going to see some of the things in this psalm, some of the things that we're tempted to believe when we're in the middle of a dark season, things that, if we believe them, can take us even deeper into a dark season. And then we're going to find in this psalm some tools for stopping the descent into despair, tools that can help us to reclaim peace and hope and joy and to gain freedom from the darkness. There's a lot in this psalm. So let's look at it now, Psalm 77, verses 1 through 20. 
I'll read. You follow along as I do. Uh, If you have your Bible, follow along there. If not, it should be on the screen uh, behind me. Here's what we read. I cried out to God for help. I cried out to God to hear me. When I was in distress, I sought the Lord. At night, I stretched out untiring hands, and I would not be comforted. I remembered you, God, and I groaned. I meditated, and my spirit grew faint. You kept my eyes from closing. I was too troubled to speak. I thought about the former days, the years long ago. I remembered my songs in the night. My heart meditated, and my spirit asked, Will the Lord reject forever? Will he never show his favor again? Has his unfailing love vanished forever? Has his promise failed for all time? Has God forgotten to be merciful? Has he in anger withheld his compassion? Then I thought, to this I will appeal. The years when the Most High stretched out his right hand. I will remember the deeds of the Lord. Yes, I will remember your miracles of long ago. I will consider all your works and meditate on all your mighty deeds. Your ways, God, are holy. What God is as great as our God. You are the God who performs miracles. You display your power among the peoples. With your mighty arm, you redeemed your people, the descendants of Jacob and Joseph. The waters saw you, God. The waters saw you and writhed. The very depths were convulsed. The clouds poured down water. The heavens resounded with thunder. Your arrows flashed back and forth. Your thunder was heard in the whirlwind. Your lightning lit up the world. The earth trembled and quaked. Your path led through the sea. Your way through the mighty waters. Though your footprints were not seen. You led your people like a flock by the hand of Moses and Aaron. We see in the two verses, uh, in the first two verses, that Asaph was in a time of distress. I cried out to God for help. I cried out to God to hear me. When I was in distress, I sought the Lord. So Asaph is in a time of distress. He is crying out to God. And we see in the text, in verses 1 through 4 specifically, the severity of Asaph's distress. He's in distress. He's crying out to God. He's seeking seeking, uh, God's help. But verse 2 tells us that even though he was crying out and seeking God's help, quote, I would not be comforted. The depth of his distress was such that even crying out to God was not helping him. He could not be comforted. Verse 3, I remembered you, God. He did exactly what we're saying we need to do throughout this series. I remembered you, God. And I groaned. He did exactly what a person should do in his situation. He, he remembered God. But he didn't find it helpful. 
Remembering God just caused him to groan. Donald Williams says in his commentary on the Psalms that what Asaph would have been remembering is God's past mighty acts, and, and that's clear in the text. And yet, instead of bringing comfort and renewed confidence, the remembrance of God's past mighty acts just further troubles Asaph, and he groans. It's likely that what's going on here is that the remembrance of the past mighty deeds of God is highlighting to him God's seeming absence in this moment. And so Asaph isn't comforted because all he can think is, God, you used to do mighty deeds for people, but it seems you don't do that anymore. Understand the depth of Asaph's distress. Remembering God just deepens his condition. It doesn't result in renewed confidence or even comfort, but instead remembering God causes him to groan in even more distress. Friends, this is deep, deep distress. And then verse 3 also tells us that even though he meditated on God, quote, his spirit grew faint. He's losing heart. He's losing hope. He's struggling not to give up. Verse 4 lets us know that sleep was eluding Asaph. Lets us know that he became too troubled to speak. And so notice the progression. In verse 1, he is crying out. Likely, most, most commentators believe he's crying out to God in anger. And now in verse 4, he falls silent. He's too troubled to speak at all. There's little doubt that Asaph is experiencing a dark night of the soul. A dark night of the soul is a phrase that is used as a description of just an extremely painful period in a person's life where help and relief seem elusive to them. For believers, it's often a time when God himself seems distant. He seems absent. Asaph is in the midst of a dark night of the soul. And based on the description we find of Asaph's condition in the first four verses of Psalm 77, it is reasonable for us to conclude that Asaph is actually depressed. Don Williams reaches this conclusion in his commentary on the 77th Psalm. And so if you're here today and you're experiencing depression, you need to pay attention because Asaph, the 77th Psalm, God has something to say to you today. God has you here today because he wanted you to hear the experience of Asaph and know that there is hope for your situation. I believe to the core of my being that God is saying to everyone in this room today who is depressed or on the verge of depression, struggling with anxiety, I see you, I care about you, there is hope and there is help for you. And if that is you, I pray today 
that God opens your heart to receive what he has brought you here to receive. Asaph is depressed. I think there's little doubt about that. In between verses 1 and 4, we see that he's moving, he's moved from crying out in anger to being silent. And the silence is good. The complaining has stopped. And in the silence, his mind begins to work. We read in verses 5 and 6, I thought about the former days, the years long uh, the years of long ago, I remembered my songs in the night. Asaph looks back over the years and he remembers that in past seasons when trouble visited him, he was able to sing songs in the night. In, in other words, he had faced trouble in the past without despairing and without losing hope. And so in the silence, his mind begins to work. And we begin to get some insight into resources that can be helpful toward regaining hope and joy, gaining freedom from distress, despair, and depression. In the next three verses, verses 7 through 9, Asaph confronts a number of questions. They are the kinds of questions that we ask when we're in distress and we don't know what God is doing or where God is. They are questions that tempt us to conclude that God isn't going to help us. But there are also questions that can be the start and can themselves begin to lead us out of the darkness. It's my opinion that Asaph begins asking these questions from a place of despair and that the questions initially are almost accusations against God. But as he works through the questions, the truth begins to break through to his troubled mind and the right answers to these questions end up leading him out of the darkness. Here are the questions we ask when we're in seasons of distress and we don't know what God is doing or where God is. Verse 7, has God rejected me? We feel rejected by God in seasons of trouble, seasons of distress. We, where is God? Can't he see my trouble? Why isn't God helping me? Verse 7, is God no longer favorable toward me? Does God not like me? Verse 8, has God stopped loving me? How can God love me and allow me to be in this situation? What have I done to deserve this? Why hasn't God come through? Why has he left me on my own when he knows I need his help? Verse 8, has God's promise failed? Maybe God can't help me. Maybe those who say God cares about our day-to-day -day lives are just wrong. Maybe he just saves us and then leaves us on, his own, on our own until he returns. Maybe that's the way it is. Verse 9, 
Has God forgotten to be merciful? Verse 9, is God angry with me and lacking compassion for me? God, if I were you and I saw someone struggling like I'm struggling, I'd have compassion on them. I'd help them out. Why, God, are you not compassionate toward me? These are the questions that haunt us in times of distress, questions that tempt us to believe that God has turned away from us and abandoned us. And I think Asaph started out tempted to reach those conclusions. But in the silence, with the complaining stopped and his mind engaged, these become the questions that actually begin to lead him out of the darkness. Verse 10, then I thought, to this I will appeal, the years when the Most High stretched out his right hand. Verse 11, I will remember the deeds of the Lord. Yes, I will remember your miracles of long ago. Verse 12, I will consider all your works and meditate on all your mighty deeds. A few things to take from these verses. First of all, then I thought. Asaph said in verse 5 and again here in verse 10 that in the midst of the pain, he begins to think. He feels abandoned. He feels that God isn't coming through for him, but he begins to think. Of course, he's been thinking the whole time. But what is meant here is that he begins to direct his thoughts in a positive and productive direction. When we feel abandoned by God, when we are tempted to give in to despair, when we experience depression, so much of it is fueled by thoughts that trouble us, thoughts that we allow to run free in our minds, or we at least don't know how to control those thoughts. Asaph has allowed bad thinking to run free in his mind, but now he is beginning to exercise discipline over those thoughts. What Asaph is doing here is what 2 Corinthians 10.5 tells us to do. He is taking his thoughts captive and making them obedient to God. He's choosing to stop the runaway negative thoughts and replace them with life-giving and hope-building thoughts. He's taking his mind off of fear-inducing thoughts, and like Philippians 4 tells us to do, he is fixing his mind on things that are good and right and true. He first engaged questions like, is God angry with me and lacking in compassion toward me, while leaning toward the answer being yes. But now, he's taken his thoughts captive, he's directed his thoughts toward things that are true, and the answer to the questions, to all of those questions, becomes clear. No, God isn't angry. 
God isn't lacking in compassion. God hasn't stopped loving me. God's promise hasn't failed just because I'm in a time of distress. And so Asaph begins to discipline his thinking in a positive direction. And then, instead of crying out in anger like he did in verse 1, here in verse 10, he says that he will appeal to God regarding the years when God stretched out his right hand, which we learned last week means those times when God has acted in power and authority on behalf of his people. That's what his right hand represents. So in the middle of not seeing God act like Asaph would like to see him act, he decides that instead of accusing God, he's simply going to appeal to God. Do what you've done in the past. God, I'm asking you, do it again. Do it again. And then we see in verses 10 through 12 an important thing that we also saw in the first week of the series. For our confidence in God to grow, for our thinking to change, for our attitude about our situation and how God can help us to change, we have to do a couple of things. First of all, we have to remember what God has done in the past. But beyond just remembering what God has done in the past, we have to do that in a very specific way. We have to remember all that God has done in the past. Meaning, we don't look at what God's done in just the past five minutes, the past three weeks, the past five months, or the past four years. We consider all that God has done. Verse 12, Asaph says, I will consider all your works and meditate on all your mighty deeds. We consider what God has done in our lives in the past. We consider what God has done in the lives of family and friends in the past. We consider what God has, how God has acted in the lives of other believers that we know. We consider how God has acted in power in the history of the churches we've been a part of, in the history of the universal church over the past 2,000 years. We consider all that God has done. And Asaph does that. He, he goes throughout verses 12 through 20, <coughs> recounting the many great things, some of the many great things that God did. And his faith grows. His despair begins to give way to hope. The darkness begins to lift and the light begins to shine again. Now, it's important to note that we're, we, we don't have evidence in the 77th Psalm that Asaph is out of his situation. Nothing tells us in the psalm that his, his uh, troubling circumstances are, are all fixed. But we can tell by the tone of the psalm that he is recovering the ability to sing in the night. He's recovering the ability to endure until God acts. So, summarize this. Asaph writes all of this during a time of distress. He's going through a dark night of the soul. It's likely that he's depressed. He entertains questions that we all entertain when facing a season of distress. We don't know what God is doing or where God is. But as Asaph really thinks through these questions, as he disciplines his mind to silence the misleading thoughts that his pain tempts him with, 
and to focus his thoughts on what is true and right, the true answer to the questions come. God has not forgotten him. God does love him. And the darkness begins to lift. Despair begins to give way to hope. The 77th Psalm highlights some spiritual resources that are available to us when we're distressed, even when we're depressed. And I want to briefly highlight five resources that we have at our disposal, four that we see in the text, and one that is an additional thought. We see four resources in the text for those who are distressed and depressed. The first one, prayer. Prayer. We see it in verse 10. Asaph decides to appeal to God regarding the days when he stretched out his right hand and moved in power. He prays, God, do it again. Show your power again. When we are distressed, look, God can take it when we cry out to him in anger. Like, you don't have to feel guilty when you do that. But it's more helpful to you, I think. It's more helpful to me, I think, when we begin to think and we appeal. When distressed, we should always turn to God in prayer. We ask God for help. God, give me peace. God, give me endurance. God, protect me during this season. God, give me the grace I need for this season. God, give me the ability to discipline my mind. God, help me to take my thoughts captive. God, enable me to think on good things. We pray to be able to sing even during the time of distress. And yes, when we're in a time of distress, we pray, we appeal to God for deliverance. God set me free. God, deliver me. We pray. We remember past times when we were able to sing in the night, like Asaph references in verse 6. We think. We reason. We discipline our thoughts. I've made it through troubles before. I didn't give in to despair and hopelessness. If I did it then, I can do it again. I can do it now. So we remember past times where we were able to endure the difficulty. And we encourage ourselves that we are able to endure yet again. The third resource. We remember who God is and we confess who God is. We see this in several places in the 77th Psalm. I'll just mention three of them. Verse 10, God is the most high. There's no one above him, no one more powerful than him, no one like him. There's no help I need that he can't provide. We remember and we confess. It's a good thing to speak it with your mouth. God is the most high. Verse 13, God is holy and great. We remember and we confess that God is holy. That means he's morally perfect. He'll always do what's right. 
He'll never do wrong to me or to anyone else. He's great. There's nothing too hard for him. There's no power he doesn't have. Verse 15, we remember and we confess that he is the redeemer of his people. The idea behind redeemer is that he purchases out of our debt. And we talk about that in relationship to sin a lot. But God didn't just purchase us out of uh, the debt of sin. He purchased us out of bondage to sin. He purchased us out of bondage to all of the things that the enemy tries to use in our lives to bring us down and destroy us. He is the redeemer of his people. We remember that and we confess that. There are other aspects of God's character we see in the text, but the point is that in times of distress, we remember who God is, we confess who God is. It's one of the ways that we discipline our minds, one of the ways that we take our thoughts captive and make them obedient to Christ. We take our minds off of fear-inducing thoughts and we focus them like a laser on what is good and right and true. God loves me. He is the Most High. He is holy. He is great. He is my Redeemer. And fourth, we remember God's power, His right hand, and his past works. Remember that earlier in the text, remembering God did not help Asaph. It just caused him to groan. Because memory of God's past deeds only made him contrast those past times with the current time when he doesn't know what God is doing. But now... Remembering God's power, his right hand, and his past works brings encouragement to Asaph because he has taken control of his thoughts. Now, when he thinks of God's power, his right hand, and his past works, instead of it causing despair because he's not seeing those things at the moment, it reassures him that God does love him, and it builds his hope that what God has done before, he can and he will do it again. Every example of God's mighty deeds that Asaph reflected on was an example of God coming through for people who were in distress. But here's another part of the story that we often don't tell. They had been in distress for a really long time. He specifically references the deliverance from Egypt, which only came at the end of a long period of distress, 400 years. We forget that. We forget that when we tell the stories of victory and deliverance. They endured 400 years of distress and mistreatment and abuse. And then the right hand of God delivered them. So now Asaph thinks correctly. He's not the first person who's ever faced distress. He's not the first person to ever wonder what God was doing. He's not the first person to endure a season where it's like, God, where are you? 
But God has shown himself over and over again to be faithful to his people. Asaph remembers this. And so his confidence grows. God will show his power again. So Asaph has corrected his thinking. And what brought despair now builds hope in him that there is a path out of his trouble. These are resources for those of us here today who are distressed or even depressed. Prayer, remembering past times when you're able to stay strong during times of trouble, remembering and confessing who God is and remembering God's power and past mighty works. As I shared the first week of the series, if you don't have a history with God, you might say, Brian, how, how can I do this? I really don't even have a history with God. How do I remember all of God's past works? Two thoughts on that. Begin to contemplate the fact that every good thing you have in your life, even if you have not lived for God, even if you have uh, not turned your life over to God, every good thing that you have ever had in your life is a gift from the hand of God, including every single breath that you've ever taken. See God's hand. Begin to see, recognize, honor God's hand in all of the good things in your life that you have taken for granted as being just life. It's all a gift from God. And here's the second thing you do. If you say, Brian, I just don't have this kind of history with God. What do I do? Here's the second thing. You begin now to ask God to work in your life, to show his power in your life. And down the road somewhere, you're going to be able to turn around and look back and you're going to have a story of when God came through for you. These are resources that we see in our text for seasons of distress, even when we may be experiencing depression. For those who are going through some distress right now, maybe you're facing anxiety or even depression, I have one final resource that I want to highlight to today. This one is not in the text. And that is that I want to encourage all of us today to view professional help, which means counseling, therapy, and also medication, as a means of God's healing. For too long, too many Christians have acted like prayer and willpower are all it should take for someone to overcome anxiety or depression. And friends, sometimes... That is just not the case. Sometimes there is more help that is needed. In preparation for this message today, as I almost always do, I checked my own thoughts about the passage against what a respected theologian has written about the 77th Psalm. I consulted the Preacher's Commentary series, and the pastor theologian who wrote the commentary on Psalms was Don Williams, who I've already referenced a couple of times. Don Williams was a vineyard pastor and theologian until his recent passing. I was actually privileged to 
uh, hear him speak a number of times in person. And he introduced his commentary on the 77th Psalm by sharing a story about a friend of his who had been chronically depressed throughout most of his life. Because he had lived that way since childhood, he had actually not even realized his condition. He just thought that's the way that life was. And it was only when he started exhibiting some bizarre behavior that he was led to therapy where his condition was eventually diagnosed. Don Williams wrote this in his introduction to the 77th Psalm. For him, his friend, a major part of his cure came through proper medication. Today, he would tell us that through these medical means, he experienced the miracle of God's healing. Later in the commentary, Williams acknowledges the resources we see in the text, resources that hold the potential for breaking us free from anxiety and depression. But he appeals, and I appeal to us today, that we should view all means of deliverance and healing as gifts from the hand of God, including professional counseling and medication when warranted. If I can take medication for my blood pressure and my cholesterol, and my reflux, and my evidently thick blood. Uh, <laughs> you can take medication if you need it for something that's going on with your mind. Listen to me today, please. Especially those of you who are struggling in these ways. Just like was true for Don Williams' friend who had been depressed most of his life, if you are here today and that's true of you, maybe it's been a long time for you too. You need to hear, you need to know, you need to believe that it doesn't have to always be this way. Healing is possible. You can be free. And I pray for everyone who is struggling in that way today. I pray in the name of Jesus that you will be free. The resources we see in the 77th Psalm will prove effective for leading many out of anxiety and depression. And they always go hand in hand with professional help. But I want you to hear this today too, all of us, those who are struggling and those who are not struggling. I want you to hear this. Don't let well-meaning but misguided Christians make you uncomfortable about getting professional help if you need it. If you need professional help, get professional help. These professional helps, counseling, therapy, medication, are available to us and should be seen as gifts from the hand of God and as means through which God can bring healing. Be wise, be careful. If you're seeking a therapist, seek a Christian therapist 
But if professional help is needed, get professional help. Through all 17 and a half years that we have been a church, we have consistently referred people to professional counselors when they need it. And we will always do that because it is a gift from God. It is a means through which God works to bring healing to his people. And and we see something fascinating in the final verse that I want to look at. Verse 19, here's what it says. Your path led through the sea. Your way through the mighty waters, though your footprints were not seen. (laughs) What an amazing verse. I mean, this is a reference to God leading the children of Israel out of Egyptian bondage, parting the Red Sea and leading them to freedom. God's footprints were not seen in leading the people through the Red Sea. Whose footprints would have been seen? The the next verse tells us Moses and Aaron's footprints would have been seen. But it was God who led his people through the Red Sea. Here's one of the most important things you can remember when you're in a season of distress. God is at work even when his footprints are not seen. And we can apply this to the professional help that I was just talking about. What might be seen is your therapist helping you to gain tools to get freedom. You'll say, my therapist helped me. They did. But the footprints you did not see were God's, working through the therapist to bring you to a place of wholeness, healing, and deliverance. God is at work even when his footprints are not seen. You may not know what God is doing right now. You may wonder if God is doing anything. But you can rest assured, God is working in ways you do not understand. You may never understand for your good. God is at work even when his footprints are not seen. Trust God today, whatever your circumstance, he will sustain you and he will lead you to a better day. It might take a little bit of time, but he is going to lead you to a better day. Let's stand.